This episode is brought to you by the AIA Film Challenge. Let architecture inspire your next short for a chance to win $5,000 in a screening at the Architecture and Design Film Festival in New York. The fourth annual AIA Film Challenge invites filmmakers to team with architects and share stories of architects and civic leaders designing a better future for our communities. Register today at AIAFilmChallenge.org. That's AIAFilmChallenge.org. Welcome to Indie Film Weekly, a no film school podcast. I'm Liz Nord. I'm Eric Lures. I'm John Fusco. It's July 26th, 2018, and on this week's show, what should we make of the James Gunn firing? No pun intended. A trend worth watching from Comic-Con, Nikon teases a mirrorless camera, and as always, news you can use about new gear, upcoming deadlines, indie film releases, and Ask No Film School. Hello, and welcome to this week's show from downtown Brooklyn, New York, home of No Film School. As always, we're here to bring you everything you might have missed while you were busy making films. John, will you kick it off? Sure. So I thought I'd kick it off with something that we talk a lot about on this show, and that's rape. Hey, welcome to Creepy Dude Corner. I can't believe how many times we have to talk about rape on a film podcast, but here we go again. Uh, This one is pretty unfortunate. As I guess they all are. I mean, right, as opposed to... (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to get... Sorry, I don't want to get, like, kicked off of any future projects, so I'm really watching my my, my tongue here. Everything that I say has been said by someone else, and I am not responsible for the things I'm saying. Liz, can I get your write-off on that? Thanks for that disclaimer, John. You may may go ahead. As a pioneer of the Me Too movement, do I have your permission to keep talking? (laughs) Oh, thank you. I'm flattered. Okay. Yes? Yes. Okay. We're good. So, James Gunn is under the gun. Uh, I imagine a lot of you have heard of this already, but you might not have gotten the full story. James Gunn was fired earlier this week from the franchise he gave birth to, uh, not not as a woman, but as a man. Uh, not actually giving birth, but just, you know, from his creativity. God, this is so awkward already, and we're not even at the awkward I'm just part. trying to watch my tongue here. The original director, the, the, the first the helmer of the franchise. The writer, yeah. the helm, yes, that's yeah, a good way. Okay. That's it. The franchise Helmer, not the mother of the franchise. He's a, yeah? Yeah, the okay. father of the, the franchise. The father of the franchise, yes. So Marvel fired the director after a bunch of his old tweets resurfaced on the web that made light of issues like pedophilia and rape. All of these tweets were made before the first Guardians movie took the world by storm back in 2014, and the tweets in question include, quote, I like when little boys touch me in my silly place, and, quote, the best thing about being raped is when you're done being raped, and it's like, whew, this feels great not being raped. Um, so the tweets were brought to the public's attention in a report by Fox News, who apparently caught wind of the story from the One America News Network correspondent, Jack Posobiec, and right-wing commentator Mike Cernovich. The broadcasters in question apparently dug up the tweets in retaliation after Gunn mocked conservative pundit Ben Shapiro for defending Mark Duplass after Duplass came under fire and apologized for encouraging his followers to give Shapiro a chance in the name of hearing views from the other side of the aisle. Cernovich suggested that readers email Disney to complete the takedown. And I'll just note that Disney owns Marvel, who uh, puts out Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. Thank you. And Disney also owns Fox now, kind of. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember that acquisition taking place. Yeah. Fox is filled with really great people, so I'm sure they're going to yeah. <laughs> retaliate against everybody. Well, yeah, we'll there's get... great people on both sides. So great people. We'll get to Cernovich yeah. later. Um, but 
Disney uh, responded to Cernovich's uh, allegations, and uh, they did it quickly and decisively, coming out with a statement that, quote, said, the offensive attitudes and statements discovered on James's Twitter feed are indefensible and inconsistent with our studio's values, and we have severed our business relationship with him. Disney and Marvel had never announced that Gunn would direct the third installment of Guardians of the Galaxy, but Gunn certainly declared it on social media. He kept posting pictures of the script that he'd written, and, uh, you know, he's, he's stoked to keep on making his movies. And after Guardians of the Galaxy 2 last summer grossed $863 million worldwide to the original's $773 million, there was every expectation that he would remain at the helm. Because this was his baby. And many fans are pretty upset about the firing, uh, as are the stars of the film. Since his firing, more than 250,000 people have signed a petition to get him reinstated. So, obviously, this is a very tricky situation in the Me Too era, as society moves toward eradicating Hollywood of its toxic masculinity problem. Roseanne Barr, who was recently fired from her own TV show for making a racist joke of her own on Twitter, made a point of highlighting a double standard, saying... Quote, I'm disgusted to read all of the support for James Gunn's pedophile jokes as the same people supported blacklisting me for a joke they didn't even understand. Does she have a point? Maybe. Should they be weighted equally? Who knows? Perhaps unsurprisingly, Gunn's main accuser, Mike Cernovich, who I mentioned earlier, who's probably best known for starting the Pizzagate controversy last year, two years ago, in which he falsely claimed that a Washington, D.C. pizzeria fronted a child sex ring, has a history of rape himself. Ah, creepy dude corner grows and grows. In 2003, he was accused of raping a woman he knew, and the charge was later dropped, but a judge ordered him to do community service for misdemeanor battery. His record has since been expunged. In 2012, he wrote that, quote, date rape does not exist, tweeting... Quote, have you guys ever tried raping a girl without using force? Try it. It's basically impossible. Uh, that's that's a hard one to wrap your head around. He Wait, also tweeted. I, can I just, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. So this, the same guy that made a big deal about James Gunn's earlier tweets and essentially got him fired is the same person that made these yeah. statements? Yeah, and wow. I couldn't include all of the things that he said because it was just like, I didn't, these are things I don't really want to say on air, but yeah. they're, they're bad. <laughs> they're, they're pretty bad. Uh, lots of stuff about swollen members. He also tweeted, quote, rape via an alpha male is different from other forms of rape. We can't really understand this as our culture is too detached from instinct. Uh, so I guess in his case, he's the alpha male. He also authored blog posts like, quote, when in doubt, whip it out, arguing that men should just masturbate in front of women when they're not invested in sex. And Louis C.K.'s favorite blog post. And in a December 2011 post, he uh, wrote a post called How to Choke a Woman. Cernovich wrote Jesus. that choking a woman during sex as a, quote, useful indicator of your strength as a man. I'm... So, wow. so I'm sure. So has he stepped down now from his no? He has saying, "Listen, I, uh, this is obviously uh, this is his thing." Uh, and I don't know. Again, thing. it's just uh, it's a very tricky situation, and this landscape is really undefined right now. And uh, he didn't apologize, but Gunn did apologize uh, for the tweets last week, saying, "Quote: Many people who have followed my career know when I started." I viewed myself as a provocateur, making movies and telling jokes that were outrageous and taboo. 
As I have discussed publicly many times, as I've developed as a person, so has my work and my humor. He added, it's not to say I'm better, but I am very, very different than I was a few years ago. Today, I try to root my work in love and connection and less in anger. My days saying something just because it's shocking and trying to get a reaction are over. So whether he remains fired from Guardians 3 remains in question, but fans are already speculating who could take over. One name that intrigues me after Infinity War and Thor Ragnarok is Taika Waititi. But yeah, that's uh, all I'm going to talk about uh, that today. Watch Ron Howard swoop in yep. and just save the day again. Or or not save the day, depending on your opinions of Solo. But just watch him say, guys, I can do this. I can make this film in two weeks if need be. Boy, if he ever ends up in Creepy Dude Corner, I'm just going to cry. Ron Howard? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, this is such a tough one. I mean, we could talk about it a lot. But Eric, I know you had read some stuff and had some thoughts about it. Yeah. Um, so there were many opinions on this. And one which was from The Hollywood Reporter's uh, freelance journalist, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, he's actually written a few things for them uh, in the past as like an op-ed. And his response was, in essence, kind of saying that where do we draw the line? But also, if someone does apologize and say they're not that same person at what point do we accept the apology and kind of, you know, if we want them to change, they're saying that they have changed. At what point do we kind of listen to that and accept that? And it, coming from Disney that still is in business with Johnny Depp, who has a history of, of violence uh, against women. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff there, Disney's uh, history. So it, it just, I don't know. Like, I thought for the James Gunn situation, it's it's kind of tough where you draw the line on humor or what is humor or what is good taste what's bad taste and what is the fireable offense versus the just out of line i guess you know like can you joke about murder can you joke about like who decides those things um and if apologizing for it does that mean something or it doesn't you know like i'm not really sure from you know tromeo and juliet such a great taste movie yeah uh, i mean so- that was gonna be my point i'll, I'll respond to your first yeah, question yeah. which is sort of like yeah it's not really for us to say clearly those original tweets were totally inappropriate and offensive but he owns that and those tweets were public they were out there this isn't some secret memo that's been you know manifested and disney knew i mean you'd think they'd look into their directors and do some due diligence. So the fact, I think what's sort of irking me is the fact that it was someone with an even worse record who's kind of taking um, this out on James Gunn in a politically motivated way now that feels so kind of frustrating. Yeah. I mean, and to your point about Tromeo and Juliet, like a lot of people have come out in support of Gunn, as you both said, and one that stood out to me was friend of the site, Lloyd Kaufman, who founded Troma Studios and who gave James Gunn his first break with the B-movie Tromeo and Juliet that you mentioned back in 95. Now, if Disney had done any kind of due diligence at all, they would have known that Gunn started his career making these provocative, some might call it trashy, work with Troma. And that's kind of not really the point even. Like, Kaufman's video not only has huge praise for James Gunn as a person, but he also points out that Disney has its own hypocrisy because its own movies, not only, as you said, did they work with people like Johnny Depp, But its movies have forwarded a lot of sort of less than PC messages about gender roles. And even, you know, their older movies have really offensive race-based stuff in them. Songs of the South, yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Kaufman went as far as encouraging people to boycott Disney on Gunn's behalf. And I'll be curious to see how this all plays out. Absolutely. And actually, that's a good point. But also what Kareem had said was that, well, if you say that our values have changed and those films we've put out in the past don't represent who we are now, 
why don't if we also Disney ex- says that. Yeah, if Disney says that, why don't we also accept James Gunn saying the same thing? Tricky you know? business. And yeah, Lloyd Kaufman actually has a cameo in the first Guardians. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah, yeah. This unfortunate news about James Gunn came out during Comic-Con. The massive event just took place over four days last weekend in San Diego, California. And if you're somehow unfamiliar, what started out as a small event for comic book lovers in 1970 has grown into the world's largest event of anything comic or superhero or cosplay related with hundreds of events in a giant exhibit hall, 460,000 square feet to be exact. While this isn't exactly indie fair, it is one of those events to note if you're paying attention to the movie industry at large, as many films and TV shows with comic-related themes or characters will have big presences at this thing. And for example, lots of new trailers drop for the upcoming year's blockbuster movies. I'm personally excited about Joss Whedon's reboot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer with a black slayer. What? Um, Eric, you did a post with some of the new trailers. What stood out? Uh, The ones kind of highlighted were... Uh, Aquaman and Shazam. I keep saying Kazam. Shazam from from DC. There was also the new Godzilla King of the Monsters film, which is such a pompous title just to take that that claim. <laughs> um, Glass, the M Night Shyamalan sequel to two movies, Unbreakable and Split. And is that a trequel? I don't know what that is. Making a sequel to two separate films, just combining them. It's a it's a it's a menage a trois, I guess. Oh boy. Kind of. I mean it's Hashtag bring, me too. bring them all together. Um and then of course there's the new uh fantastic what is it? Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Oh yeah. Yeah, which is you can find them in the film industry. Uh so <laughs> The sequel is uh, coming out this fall, I believe, and the trailer for that came out as well. So definitely the bigger budgeted kind of stuff is where Comic-Con succeeds in announcing dates and trailers and things like that. Well, John, you didn't do your annual ranking of Comic-Con trailers, but did did you like any of them? I liked some of them. Any in particular? (laughs) The ones that... Godzilla, right? Yeah, Godzilla Godzilla. I really thought looks cool. Uh, And uh, Glass. Those were the two for me. The two that start with G. Well, um, I hope someone tweets at us about John John being obstinate today. <laughs> I wasn't being. I told I told you what I've liked. Mm. Anyway, uh, the whole thing really is a pop culture phenomenon. In fact, when I was researching this story and searched for articles about Comic Con, there were literally hundreds from this year alone. And no, I didn't read them all, but a couple things definitely caught my eye. And one is that it sounds like we will have yet another streaming service to contend with. This time coming from DC Comics. You might remember that Disney's set to launch its own streaming service next year and bring all its Marvel properties with it. In what I can only assume is a competitive response, DC announced at Comic-Con that it will be launching its own streaming service called DC Universe this year and will have a huge library of content, not just the movies, but animated and live-action TV shows based on DC characters and stretching back decades and archives of actual comic books, which is kind of cool. DC will also be developing, you guessed it, original content for the service, like an adult-oriented Harley Quinn animated show. That's creepy. <laughs> lots, of, lots of creepy dudes in Creepy Dude Corner are going to be huddled in their corners and watching that. Excited about Ms. Harley Quinn. Um, the service will cost $7.99 monthly, which is the same as the starting price for both Netflix and Hulu, but you save 20% if you sign up for a year. So this is not only good news for geeks, but it also points to a growing trend in the industry where big studios with back catalogs and leverage will be pulling away from the Hulus and Netflixes of the world and making their content available direct to consumer for a price. And just last week on the show, we talked about how you could even start your own streaming service pretty easily. 
It'll be interesting to see how all this shakes out and if the audience bites on new platforms once they've already had the convenience of everything in one place. I, I thought that the Harley Quinn animated series already existed on a streaming platform. I forget what the, I think the streaming platform is called, I think it's called Pornhub? Oh, wow. Uh, right, 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 the free, uh, free annual subscription. I think you have to yeah. press like some, I think it's on a platform, like, like I think the category or the channel is called like, you have to press hentai. Oh, boy. And then, you guys aren't familiar with this? I sure would not know anything I'm not, about I'm it. Not. No. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not going to be, I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, also, um, as we discussed last week, a little bit about film criticism and the lack of diversity the field, unfortunately, often encompasses. Uh, I wanted to just quickly draw attention to the Film Society of Lincoln Center's annual New York Film Festival initiative, the Critics Academy, which is a two-week-long workshop. It runs the length of the festival from September 28th through October 14th. That's meant to mentor young journalists and critics who are interested in learning more about the craft and, fingers crossed for some lucky few, the profession itself, uh, which kind of still exists. Uh, as noted in Lincoln Center's press release announcing this year's call for entries. For the 2018 edition, 10 selected critics will have the opportunity to attend NYFF press screenings and cover the festival in a variety of ways, from quick turnaround film reviews to more in-depth articles and interviews for potential publication in IndieWire and beyond. Participants will partake in candid roundtable discussions with working critics and other members of the industry to put their work in context. Now, the requirements, though, are that you must have completed a minimum of two years of undergraduate study or have no more than two years of experience creating critical and or journalistic content about movies. You must demonstrate an interest in film criticism and or film journalism, as well as the ability to speak and write fluently in English. Uh, it's a great fun opportunity, very worthwhile and worth your time, or so I hear. Uh, six or seven years ago, I applied for the first edition, and I was not accepted. Look at you uh, now, though, look, managing look, editor look, look of an me. international look, film publication. Look at me. Re reporting on this, thing, it's still following me. You know, I just it, it, every year it comes up, and it's a sore spot. Uh, applications are currently open through August the sixth, and if selected, you'll be notified two weeks later by August the twentieth. So, in an effort to diversify film criticism and bring in new voices, it's a cool initiative going for younger people too. Thanks, Eric. And now here's Charles Hayne with some tech and gear news. Hello, everybody. This is Charles Hayne. I am here with tech news. Our top story this week isn't like officially news, it's just a rumor, but it's a huge rumor everyone's talking about and it's now a rumor that has been confirmed by the company, so that is something. So earlier this week, Nikon released a trailer that teased their future full-frame mirrorless camera. Full-frame mirrorless is a really exciting space. We've got a lot of players in like smaller sensor mirrorless, but right now full-frame mirrorless is really like aggressively dominated by Sony with their Alpha 7 and Alpha 9 cameras. And Nikon moving into the space is big news since filmmakers especially really love a mirrorless camera. After the very fun and somewhat mysterious and kooky trailer came out, Nikon has confirmed, yes, it is a full frame camera and that there's going to be a brand new lens mount FX, uh, which makes sense uh, because mirrorless cameras let you get the lens closer to the sensor the traditional lens mount, F in Nikon's case, doesn't make a lot of sense. You can't take advantage of all the wonder of having a shallower flange focal distance, which you can now with the FX mount. And of course, they will obviously be selling an adapter from FX to F, so you can use all of your old Nikon lenses. And when you start getting new glass, you'll probably get it in FX if you get this new FX mount camera. 
what this really makes us wish is that there was like an open standard for full frame mirrorless. Like Sony has E, Nikon has FX, Canon will do its own thing. It's like to bummer lenses won't go platform to platform. But it's super exciting to have a very traditional heavyweight like Nikon who has like a huge history coming in and shaking up mirrorless a little bit. We think Sony, who's doing great stuff but responds well to competition, could use the competition. And if Canon's not really going to bring an amazing full-frame mirrorless to the party, seems like Nikon will. Next up, Deity Microphones is already shipping a revised shotgun mic, the S-Mic 2. Deity, they're a subsidiary of Aperture, the lighting company. And like Aperture, they are doing refinement at like an insane pace with a crazy refresh cycle. Since they only really announced their first microphone and they're like coming out as a company in January of 2017. So that mic was a a like shotgun mic and now they have the S-Mic 2 a little more than a year later. We haven't gotten our hands on one yet, but those who have are very impressed with the price you get with the price quality ratio. Does it compete with a $2,000 microphone? No. Does it compete with other microphones in its $400 space really, really well. And uh, that's really impressive. It's 100% made of brass, or it's got a 100% brass body. It's got a waterproof capsule. Um, there's an optional kit with, like, a uh, shock mount. Uh, if you're looking for a way to up your audio game in an affordable price point, we think the Deity is probably going to be worth a look. Next up, Fuji, uh, or Fujifilm as they prefer we say, have just released two new lenses that show a real commitment from the company to growing their X-Line market share. It's an 8-16mm to 16 millimeter zoom that opens to a 2.8 and a 200mm f2 prime. The wide zoom is going to be huge with indie filmmakers when you're working in those small spaces, you're in tiny apartments, you're, you're shooting a bathroom scene. A really wide lens that still opens a little bit wider is going to be super useful for that kind of work. More fascinating, but maybe not as popular with filmmakers, is the 200mm f2 prime. So first off, it's a $6,000 200mm prime. So it's a specialty tool. But for like sports and nature shooters, this is a really bold move. They're moving in on territory that's traditionally been Canon and Sony. Um, Sony's only really been moving on this space in the last couple of years. And uh, it's exciting to see Fuji feeling confident enough in their cameras that their cameras are going to be able to survive these kind of situations. Um, the reason why it's really interesting is also that it's an F2, which is really wide for a 200mm prime, which for still shooters is going to let them really crank down on that shutter speed and get those really crisp, insane sports shots. So look for those coming this fall. Last up, I wanted to give a shout out to a documentary off the tracks about Final Cut 10. Ryan Charles did a director interview this week, and we, usually in tech news we don't talk about these director interviews, but it's tech news because it's a doc about tech, editing tech. It's called Off the Tracks because Final Cut 10 moves away from tracks to the magnetic timeline. And this documentary dives pretty deeply into the, some of the aspects of how this product was developed. Um, I personally found it very interesting that the doc appears very upfront about the extent to which Final Cut 10 is really an evolution of iMovie. Something that's always sort of been part of the discourse but is really like talked about honestly in depth here. My final bit of gear news this week, I'm going to be on hiatus for the next two weeks shooting. Uh, I've done a lot of small projects over the last two years while uh, covering tech news here, but this is the biggest project I've done in a while, and it's big enough that I will not be able to cover tech news for the next two weeks, but I'm excited for a whole bunch of hands-on reviews from all the stuff we're using on set, 
and we're going to try out a whole bunch of new tools and workflows. And uh, I will talk to everybody again in three weeks. Oh, hey, this is Charles Hain again with the Ask No Film School. Roxanne Morris asks, do you have your own website? I want to create one for me and my portfolio. What should I do? Roxanne, I have very strong opinions about this. First, I don't think you should spend the time to learn to design sites yourself. The time you spend getting amazing at like Photoshop and WordPress or Drupal or like HTML coding or whatever it is, is time you should be spending getting better at filmmaking. Getting really good at something requires focus and effort. And I would put that focus and effort into being a better filmmaker, having better work to show. So I don't think you should build it yourself. Secondly, I don't think you should hire a company. Yes, I know I said outsource, but for me, web design companies are better for bigger projects than a portfolio. When you want to hire a web design company, you're probably going to want to build something a little more robust where multiple people can edit it and it's rolling out more updates and maybe there's an e-com solution. But the problem with that is if you hire a company and they design it more complicated than you can maintain it, you're going to be stuck in this loop of every time you want to fix it, you have to go back to the company. I've seen a lot of people make this mistake. Because the trick with a portfolio is you need to stay current. You need your freshest work, your newest work, your hottest work. If you're writing blogs, you need to link to those blogs. You need to like really keep that site fresh. Because you can really easily tell a site that hasn't been updated in three years where they're like, newest ad is for a company that's out of business or something. Um, or it's a music video and we all know when that song came out. So you need to keep your work current. So you need a website you can personally maintain. And you need to outsource the design. So luckily, there are solutions for that. I personally use Squarespace, but Wix is another popular option. Format seems to be coming up in the races with a lot of my students. And these are all websites that are specifically designed for portfolio building. They'll have whole sections devoted to like photographers and filmmakers to help you showcase your work well. And most easily, they're really built with an easy-to-use backend, so every time a new work goes live on YouTube or a new work goes live on Vimeo, you can put it where you want in your portfolio. It's much easier to keep your site live and hot and active when you build using one of these pre-built tools. I think you're going to be much happier if you go for it. They're like 100 a year. They're not free, um, but I think they're well worth it. If you want a truly free or like very affordable option, most filmmakers have Vimeo Pro for like client review and whatnot. And if you already have Vimeo Pro, you can actually build websites in Vimeo Pro. And I have a couple up in there, like specialty sites as well. And I'll use Vimeo Pro websites when I'm bidding a job. I'll make a specific Vimeo Pro page. And those are actually not bad. So those are your two options, either Vimeo Pro if you've got it, or Squarespace, Wix, or Format if you don't. Lastly, people ask about this a lot. I don't think you have to worry about SEO. A blog, like No Film School, needs to worry about SEO. When someone Googles, new Canon camera, we want to be the first in the Google results where you're reading about it and you're like learning about it from us and we want to be one of those voices in the conversation. But I don't know how many clients are out there just Googling like filmmaker for music video. I think those jobs are still very much word of mouth jobs. So you want a nice website so when you meet someone in person, you give them a card, you send them an email with your link, they can go to it. But I'm not sure that there's a ton of SEO importance. You want your SEO to be strong enough that if someone Googles your name, they find you. That's vital. But short of that moment, uh, 
you, I don't think you obsessively need to track SEO for like a personal portfolio site the way you will when you start vlogging or writing other things meant to distribute to the rest of the world. Hey, this has been Charles Hain for Ask No Film School. I will see you all in three weeks in the heat of August. And now for some hentai movie openings that you can catch. <laughs> On Pornhub, right? We should say now streaming. Should on we Pornhub have a Pornhub section now? I think there should be something. I will. You take it. You take can take it under control advisement. of that. You should take control of it. You should start. You should write out the Pornhub. I'm talking to you, Liz. <laughs> oh, the Pornhub section. Yeah, the Pornhub. Well, but I'll focus on Future female releases. directed. Yes. Yeah. 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 Exactly. With like movie maker that magazine exists, called it. By of course, the way. it exists. That, like, I've heard from people. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Of course, you could imagine that porn films directed by women have a different angle so to speak than those directed by men like a dutch angle like what kind of angle? like anyway so (laughs) (laughs) so some indie movies you can catch this week on pornhub um not on pornhub (laughs) can't confuse rock rubber yeah that'll confuse people (laughs) um actually this first one is on a platform we don't often cover but it's a it's an interesting one vhx.tv charles mentioned earlier that the documentary off the tracks about the oft-hated but widely used final cut pro x and that is coming to vhx.tv on july 24th i'll just add that it's directed by an avid fan of fcpx <laughs> so you see what we did there uh editor bradley olson who was nice enough to offer a discount on buying the movie at vhx tv to nfs readers so if you use the code ottnfs like over the top no film school you can get a dollar off the movie or five dollars off the bonus feature edition through vhx.tv We also have excerpts from an interview with the director on the site titled, Off the Tracks Director Bradley Olson Shares Three Little-Known Facts About FCPX. And on July 24th, Rock Rubber 45s is coming. Come on now. It does sound a little bit Pornhub-y. But uh, yeah, Rock Rubber 45s is coming to all major VOD platforms, including iTunes, Amazon, Vimeo, Vudu, and Google Play. This is an autobiographical documentary by a guy called Bobito Garcia. Among the many things he's known for is co-hosting the 90s radio show Stretch and Bobito that broke artists like Biggie Smalls and the Wu-Tang Clan. The documentary portrays Garcia's own life, but also the evolution and intersection of the global street basketball and music scenes with interview subjects as wide-ranging as Patti LaBelle and Lin-Manuel Miranda. Bobito has had an absolutely crazy ride in his career, and he claims in our interview that he made the movie with other filmmakers and freelance creatives in mind to show you how to hustle and other lessons he learned along the way. I'll also mention that the film was edited by one of our contributing writers, Rafi Rivero, so shout out to Rafi. And coming to Netflix on July 29th is Her, which I actually saw the world premiere of at the Film Society of Lincoln Center. I'm telling you, I can't get away from this. I can't. It's just so depressing. Uh, Spike Jones sci-fi rom-com drama from 2014 is definitely a film to check out if you haven't seen it yet or rewatch it if you have. Jones won an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay for his screenwriting efforts on the project. He tells the story of a near future full of high-waisted pants where a lonely writer develops a romance with an operating system designed to meet his every need. That, lo- <laughs> that loner is played by Joaquin Phoenix, and the OS is famously voiced by Scarlett Johansson. No word yet on who plays the pants, uh, <laughs> but they are high-waisted throughout, throughout the film. That is and the best logline for that film I've ever heard. You should also watch the movie High and Wasted. I feel like, you know, it, it may help add to something like that. Um, but yeah, Scarlett Johansson as an OS, which started her controversial casting decisions way back four years ago, I guess. 
Yeah, who is she to take the part of an actual computer? Should have been Wally. Yeah, you know, <laughs> or Wally's girlfriend in the movie. Um, in Wally, I don't know if she has a name. Eva. 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 Oh yeah. And coming to theaters on July 27th is a movie called Hot Summer Nights. I no. love any weather-related movies. This is not on Pornhub. This is not on okay. Pornhub. Literally any Probably of these could be could on Pornhub. Be, yeah. Her, Hot Summer Nights. For me, Mission Impossible. Yeah, Mission Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> <Fallout>. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Good ones, guys. Sorry to interrupt you, John. That's okay. So I got a chance to check out this movie at an advanced screening last week, and it really surprised me. It premiered at South by Southwest a couple years back and is the debut feature of a writer-director named Elijah Bynum. It debuted to lukewarm reviews as the story becomes a little muddled in the later acts, but when it works, I think it really works. The visual style is also very interesting, and it fits the early 90s world in which the action takes place. It's really a beautiful uh, movie to watch. And not only because of the aesthetics quality of the movie, but there's just like a lot of good-looking people in this movie. Uh... So it's a coming-of-age story about a troubled young boy whose mother sends him away to stay with his aunt in Cape Cod for the summer. He gets in with the wrong crowd, though, and he begins an enterprising career as a drug dealer while also courting his partner's sister. If anything, the film is worth a watch to catch a glimpse at another sterling performance in the early career of its young star, Timothy Chalamet. I never know how to say it. I always go, Shamalama Ding Dong. Timothy Shamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamalamal
They clearly have something good going on. And he's back at the helm to continue the story where it left off in Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. So the plot surrounds a mission, and it's one that may or may not be impossible for Tom Cruise to pull off. That's all I know about it. Also, Tom Cruise runs. Yeah, he does. I'm sure he does. We'll see. Uh, Reviews have been out for a few weeks now, and everyone says it's pretty amazing. Uh, I can't wait to see it. You can read more about the history of Mission Impossible in an article I wrote up on the site called Watch Why Mission Impossible is a Director's Dream Franchise Come True. And in that video, uh, the video essay that um, Patrick H. Williams made that I wrote the article about, he also rates uh, the movie based on Tom Cruise's running in the movie. So if you're interested in that, go ahead and watch it. The amount of running or the quality? The quality of the running. running. Yeah. Mm. How fast. It is cool, though. Like Kind of like the Fast and the Furious franchise, the films seem to be getting better mm-hmm. as they go, which is usually not the direction that these franchises take. And now for some upcoming deadlines. On the grant side of things, with a deadline of August 8th, is the NEH Media Production Grant. Presuming the National Endowment for the Humanities continues to have a budget, you can continue to apply with documentaries that address the humanities. The application process isn't easy. You need an experienced team, a nonprofit organization, or a fiscal sponsor, two humanities advisors, and a lengthy application. Ken Burns' project descriptions are rumored to have been around 40 pages, but the payoff is worth it. One to three-year grants in the $100,000 to $650,000 range. Film and television projects may be single programs or a series addressing significant figures, events, or ideas, and drawing their content from humanities scholarship. They must be intended also for national distribution, and the program welcomes projects ranging in length from short-form to broadcast-length video. And also, on August 8th, they have a media development grant application uh, cutoff date. Like the production grants, the development grants are for documentaries that address topics in the humanities, and the application process is just as extensive. The awards range from slightly less, uh, $40,000 to $75,000. Development grants enable media producers to collaborate with scholars to develop humanities content and to prepare programs for production. Grants should result in a script or a design document and should also yield a detailed plan for outreach and public engagement in collaboration with a partner organization or organizations. And we've got some upcoming festival deadlines. The Santa Fe Independent Film Festival has a deadline on August 1st. This is their extended deadline and the last chance to apply. This one takes place October 17th to the 21st, 2018 in Santa Fe. It's the largest film festival in New Mexico. And it's been dubbed a Young Sundance by IndieWire and an all-inclusive resort for cinephiles by Filmmaker Magazine. Sounds great. Also, of course, it was named in Movie Maker Magazine's 50 festivals worth the entry fee in 2014, 15, 16, and 17. Ba-bam! But not 2018, so stay away. (laughs) And the Lone Star Film Festival has a deadline on August 1st. It's the late deadline. It takes place November 8th to the 12th, 2018 in Fort Worth, Texas. It features cash prizes and has been named... One of those Movie Maker Magazine's 50 films of the entry fee for three consecutive years. Shalama Lama Ding Dong. Three consecutive years on that movies magazine. Oh. And for the festival deadline of July 31st is the St. Louis? St. Louis? St. Louis. St. Louis? I'll say St. Louis. International Film Festival, July 31st. You better call it by its acronym. Sliff. S-T-L. Sliff. Oh, Sliff. Sorry. Not Sliff. Sorry. 
Uh, the, the late deadline is July 31st. Takes place in St. Louis, Missouri from November 1st through November 11th, 2018. Sliff has over three dozen juried and audience choice awards. So maybe your film will win one. And if it doesn't, you can just smoke a Sliff. Uh, yeah, of course. Sliff is also an Academy qualifying festival for both narrative and documentary short subjects. And the festival is especially concerned with providing filmgoers with the opportunity to see works that would otherwise never even screen in St. Louis. So now for everyone's favorite segment, and by everyone I mean me, Weekly Words of Wisdom. Hello, hello. Uh, we are back with this week's Words of Wisdom, which, uh, you know, it's a nice way. Uh, as first-time feature filmmaker Jordana Spiro's Sundance Next award-winning Night Comes On opens theatrically next Friday, August the 3rd, uh, I was able to speak with Jordana about what she took away from the experience of making her feature debut. And by that, I mean, were there any things she wished she had known before jumping in? Any misconceptions she might have had that changed after going through production? And what did she learn from going through this grueling process? And kind of, you know, a chance to look back a little bit. Jordana told me, quote, Well, you have to have great endurance. You have to have a little bit more confidence on the days where you've crafted this incredibly specific shot list. And then in the morning, there's whatever element working against you, weather or traffic or the complications that come from filming on a bus or no-shows or whatever it is. And you have to take that shot list, rip it up, and blow it away into the wind. You need the ability to have confidence as long as you're asking, what are the essential beats of the scene that must be captured? Just tap back into... What are those essential beats that must be captured and just have confidence around them? Um, you know, I, I just feel like that you obviously want to be overprepared because that is the more responsible and necessary thing to do. But then you always have to remember that these things are not made in a bubble and real life intervenes in ways that you can't predict. And don't lose sight of the things that matter most and stay positive, stay calm about it and still take what you can from that day because the days matter, obviously, quite a bit. Great one, Eric. Psyched about the shout-outs this week. Uh, we've been wondering for a while whether Netflix would be picking up any more festival films this year on top of all its original content, and now we know. The thriller Cam was just picked up by Netflix at Fantasia Fest, where it won awards for Best First Feature and Best Screenplay. Daniel Goldhaber directed the movie, but I'd like to give a shout-out to the super-talented cinematographer Caitlin Arismendi, who I worked with on a short a few years ago, and we have an interview with her up on the site, which we'll link to in the podcast post. Speaking of kick-ass female DPs, if you're around New York between July 26th and August 9th, you can check out The Female Gaze, which is a survey of 36 films shot by 23 female cinematographers from around the world and programmed by, here it comes, Eric, oh, the no. Film Society of Lincoln Center. Oh, dun, God, dun, they're, dun. they're busy. <laughs> we have interviews and masterclasses with several of these shooters on the site, including Kirsten Johnson, Ellen Curris, Ashley Connor, and Rachel Morrison. So we will link to those in the podcast post as well. We also want to give a huge shout out, hug, and good luck to Charles on his shoot over the next couple of weeks, and we're going to miss him. Meanwhile, we've got a podcast coming up next Monday. I'm really stoked about this one because I mentioned last week in the shout outs that my friend Amy Peters had been nominated for an Emmy this year for her editing work on Queer Eye. And now she's going to be on the show along with another editor, TV editor, who's nominated for an Emmy this year on a different show, on the Samantha Bee Show. So Amy Peters and Tennille Udhoff, who between them have over 50 TV show editing credits, are going to be on the podcast. We had this really great conversation where they were pretty candid about 
how to break into the industry and how to sort of make it as a TV editor, which I think could be relevant to a lot of you since, you know, we're always talking about this age of peak TV. As we've mentioned on the show before, that means there's a lot more work for those of us in the movie and TV industry, particularly in post-production, because there's so many hours of television that need to get churned out quickly. So these ladies will give you the ins and outs of that side of the industry on Monday. Oh, that's pretty cool. You know, normally when my friends get nominated for Emmys, they stop speaking to me. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that, that the friendship continues. It makes me happy. And if you're not spending all your time on Pornhub, please uh, look up our podcast, No Film School Podcast, on your favorite podcasting app and go ahead and subscribe. Give us some great uh, ratings. They really help us a lot and, you know, make us feel good. The podcast is great to listen to while you're browsing Pornhub as well, I think. Yeah. Guys, our brain is just (laughs) melting in the podcast booth today. Please forgive us. Um, But do go ahead and subscribe. You can read about everything uh, that we talked about on today's show. We'll put links in the podcast post at nofilmschool.com where you can also find loads of original articles about the craft of filmmaking every single day. And stay in touch. We don't want to hear about your Pornhub habits, but we'd like to hear from you. I'm at Liz Film on Twitter. I'm at Eric Lures. I'm at Jim underscore John underscore Jen. Oh, we didn't even plan that. Thanks, guys. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>